Hi, I'm Fred Schonenberg, and thank you for joining me on the Venture Fuel podcast. At Venture Fuel, we help companies find new solutions by partnering with the best startups from around the world. On the show, you'll learn the secrets of business leaders who tap into startups and the founders driving extraordinary results. We'll consider new ideas, stretch our mindsets beyond the status quo, and in the process, discover how to leap the competition and fuel personal growth. On today's show, we have Vinod Suresh, the VP of product for Walmart Plus. If you don't know Walmart Plus, it's a new membership program that brings together in-store and online benefits to save customers money and time, like no other retailer can. Walmart Plus uses the company's unique assets to make life easier for busy families. Along with the power of its online presence, Walmart Plus also has the reach of more than 4,700 stores, including 2,700 stores that can offer delivery as fast as same day. So today, we're going to talk about a whole bunch of different topics, specifically around how innovation works in large organizations. So I'm very excited. Let's get after it. Vinod, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Fred. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm so excited to chat with you as well. And I I thought maybe we could start with a quick intro to Walmart Labs and Walmart Plus. So if you could kind of level set us here on uh, your background. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been at Walmart for close to six years now. You know, started off uh, running product for Sam's Club, which is a smaller part of uh, Walmart, right? The wholesale business of uh, Walmart, you know, help turn around and transform the membership model and also build some world-class innovative experiences, both for in-store and online and digital, basically bringing in together like the one phase of experience to our members in a, in a very unified way. That's what I did for almost four out of my five and a half, six years within Walmart. And then I was very fortunate enough to be tapped into to incubate Walmart Plus on the Walmart side. So it just feels like, you know, it's a second job within the same company. <laughs> so uh, that's been going really, really well. So I had this uh, unique opportunity of you know, incubating a brand new business model within Walmart. And it was a very, the challenge and the complexity were completely of different level. It was a step function change. And it's also it also presented me with a very unique opportunity to do something like that in Fortune number one company. So uh, Walmart Plus, as Fred, or, you know, you already mentioned it, is, you know, Walmart's premier membership for our customers, for our loyal customers. And I think what we are trying to do is, you know, leverage, all of our assets and figuring out what really our customers want and you know present one unified simple experience uh, where our customers can benefit out of all the all the different products and services that Walmart has to offer to our members in a very seamless you know on demand you know convenient way in a very intuitive way so you know we've just begun a journey we are we are reaching our first year anniversary or birthday, whatever you want to call that, uh, you know, in in next couple of days. We launched on the 15th of September last year, uh, right in the midst of pandemic. Uh, so we have a lot of ground to cover. The way I would like to think is I think we are, uh, last year was year of incubation and almost like a seed crowd, right? This year is the year of, you know, driving, you know, uh, true experiences out of it. So think of this year as a series A. And we have a lot of ground to cover, so uh, we are just we are just through the journey. Going back, I think before Walmart, I've run innovation in various different companies. I was part of AB InBev, 
uh, was also part of uh, Walmart Labs in the formative years. So I was one of the first few people who were part of the labs organization. Excellent. So that just presents a very different innovation model when there were few people within larger Walmarting trying to do innovation, you know, and we were trying to build next generation products and experiences back then to a model now in Walmart where it's, uh, you know, grassroots innovation and, you know, the model is kind of completely federated right now. Before that, my background has been in more in building uh, products and uh, specifically around data and analytics products before. So I want to unpack sort of a whole bunch of different things here. Um, I think one of the things that you said was really interesting was, you know, Walmart Plus came about the desire to serve your customers and meet them where they want to be and do it in a, a very simple, intuitive way. That sounds like, you know, sort of an obvious thing to want to do, but, you know, Walmart has so many different moving pieces. When you think of the online, the in-store, can you maybe share a little bit about the process of getting this even to the incubate stage in terms of getting all those moving pieces to start working together? Yeah, so, um, you know, product management as it falls, I think always starts with the customer and ends ends with the customer. So the process was always starting with customer needs. And it was a very unique point because we started this process last year in 2020 right at the outset of COVID, where the world was evolving very, very quickly, consumer behaviors were changing, the needs were completely changing, you know, and everyday lives of all of us got impacted in, in a tangible way. So I think I think that was a very unique but challenging aspect of it. So trying to not only gauge what our customers have historically wanted from Walmart, but also trying to look at what are the what is the evolving need uh, of our customers going into this pandemic and now hopefully post pandemic world so i think i think that's the tricky part of it uh, but going back to the heart of your question i would say i think the key thing that often falls uh, on the innovation program or trying to do something brand new within large companies from an innovation standpoint is often also just lining up internal assets and you know working getting the machinery to work you know together in a very seamless way so that we can truly present a unified experience to our customers without really showing our org structure to, to the customer right so i think i think it becomes it becomes that's the tricky part running innovation or incubating new products and services or even you know just trying to do something different in some of these uh, large corporations uh, you know, whether it's Ibn Bev or, you know, any of those big companies. So for that, I think uh, what we have done at Walmart in the last few years in a very successful way, uh, yeah, and a lot of that, a lot of that credit also goes back to how we ran, you know, this model at Sam's Club, which was essentially the startup within Walmart, right? And that has now proliferated across the Inc., uh, which is essentially trying to, f- we, we call this as four-in-a-box model. And what we mean by that is, uh, you know, for, we, we pick, some of our top problems, customer problems, and we try and assign uh, four people, four owners, you know, from various cross-functional teams to go attack the problem. And, and the number four is kind of nebulous, depending on the type of the problem. It could it could go from four to six, and sometimes you know four to two. So just keep that you know as a high-level framework. It's not written in, in stone. Right. Uh, so we have a business owner assigned to any problem. We have a product owner uh, or a product manager assigned to any problem. 
we have a tech owner or, uh, you know, a tech lead, and then we have a UX designer, right, attached to these problems. And then we often have data analytics, operations, merchandising, like, you know, marketing, like any of those, uh, you know, legal compliance, they all come into the picture, uh, you know, as and when needed, or depending upon the nature of the problem. But what we basically do is we say, okay, these are the four people who are accountable for this problem. And now I think the onus falls on them very squarely and, you know, surely to go dwell on the problem space before we even talk about solutions. So let's go figure out what is the real problem. Let's quantify the problem. Let's clearly articulate like the why of the problem, either it's it's a business problem or a customer problem. Most of them are customer problems, but there are some internal business problems as well that we want to solve. Yeah. And then once we clearly articulate the problem and we slice and dice the problem and, you know, bring in data and, you know, art and science to kind of, you know, support that, you know, the whole hypothesis of the problem formation, then I think that's like 80% battle won, right? Because yeah. Once we clearly write down the problem, you know, it automatically leads you into the solution path. So solution is not the hardest problem, hardest part of problem solving here. I think just clearly documenting, clearly hypothesizing the problem is the bigger part of the battle. So we we, we call this four in a box. It's worked really well. So we, we attach four people to go solve this particular customer or a business problem. And then from that point onwards, you know, then the core business strategy, product strategy, customer strategies is formulated at that level. And from that point onwards, I think, you know, once the demand is shaped, we go after the supply side, right, on the, with, within internal organization and saying that, hey, okay, so if this is the problem and this is what we want to solve and these are like the low-hanging fruits, this is the 80-20 that we want to go solve for, then what are the things that we need on the supply side to line up? Like, what, where is the army going to come from, right? Like, what are the things you need to go solve this problem? Right. So then, again, that onus also falls on the four in a box, right, where, you know, the product tech, design, and business owners go about, you know, figuring out what are the supplies they need. And, you know, we, we orchestrate all of that, bring it together. Then we have like a well-oiled machinery of process where we go through like regular prioritization, you know, a road mapping, figuring out, uh, doing a POC, finding product market fit, and then, you know, clearly establishing very clear OKRs and goals, what we want to accomplish. And then it just follows the, the regular process of, you know, how we run, uh, uh, build new experiences here. So I think that's like the biggest, um, you know, it's easier said than done, but that's right. like the biggest part of the of the puzzle, if you will. I love this idea of four in the box and the idea in general about Tiger teams. For any of you that don't know that concept, the, the idea here is that you choose a SEAL Team 6, right? A, a group of superstars that can tackle a problem together, usually from different uh, aspects of the company, whether that is, you know, a marketing or an insights person, a product person, someone on the tech side, maybe somebody from leadership, but really getting a small group of people and letting them own a project or a challenge to tackle and to lay that out and give each of them an incentive of some sort in which to uh, go tackle that problem. By having a small group, people get more engaged and you can deliver a faster outcome kind of using that lean, agile methodology to get from where you are to where you want to be. It's so interesting. I I love the multiple business owners that, you know, strategically chosen to solve the problem, but you're right. Like half the battle is really articulating what the challenge is, what you're trying to solve for, 
without thinking of the solution first, if that makes sense, right? Like a lot of people find tech and, and then go looking for a problem that it might solve. I like that you're reverse engineering and kind of saying, hey, like this is what we're trying to get after. Let's quantify it. You know, is it a big enough problem for us to tackle? And then what do we need in order to tackle it? And how do we create some stage gates to see if it's starting to work? And, you know, do we, do we invest in it, support it from there? Absolutely. And I think the way I define innovation is I define innovation in two, in two or three dimensions. I think the first dimension is re-engineering, right? Like you could really redo the whole business workflow or the customer workflow, right? That's like you're disrupting the whole flow in its, you know, on the business side, right? Or on the workflow side. The second uh, type of innovation is tech innovation, right? So basically there is a particular process that works really well, but now you have a new tech, you, you know, and we, we saw this, we have been in this journey at Walmart for last 10, 12 years where, you know, we've had the old POS systems and mainframes and a lot of those, you know, 20 year old, 30 year old, 40 year old tech that, that has been there. And a lot of those have changed, right? Whether you look at payments or fintech or healthcare or all of those tech has changed. So that is like tech infused innovation, right? Where you just have a better way of doing the exact same thing, but you're not disrupting the, the business flow, right? or the workflow itself. And then the third dimension, which is my definition of innovation, you know, people, you know, may or may not agree with it, but my own definition of innovation is just speed. Like if you're able to do the exact same thing in a much faster way, right? In a leaner way with design thinking or lean product management or, you know, um, you know, with a lot of experimentation, I think just, you know, there is a first mover advantage, right? And that also is part of the innovation. So I think that's how I kind of define in those three ways. And, and it could be, you know, the kind of innovation can primarily fit in one of these three boxes, or it could be a combination, amalgamation of all the three together as well, right? Because most of the time, when you change the tech, you end up finding inconsistencies or inefficiencies in workflow as well. So it could be a combination of, you know, uh, multiple, you know, of the three. How are you finding out that there is a, a faster, speedier solution or there's a new technology, right? Like, obviously some things are obvious that get in front of you or you, you see them out in the wild, but, but curious how you're, you're always yeah. thinking, right? And looking for new ways to improve any one of those three uh, sort of legs to the stool. Yeah, so I'll give you an example. I think that probably is the best way to kind of explain that. So during my very initial days at Sam's, one of the things that I figured out is my the problem that I wanted to solve was to improve the NPS at the membership desk, right? So you have over 600 clubs all over US and all of them have like a concierge desk, which is called membership desk, uh, where, where our members come and they do a lot of different things. They, they can return their product. They can join as a new member. They can find out about their benefits. They can sign up for a credit card. They can do a bunch of these things and a lot of variations and use cases there. Uh, so the problem that I wanted to solve, and this was a side project that I did with a couple engineers, you know, after 5 p.m., you know, if you will, uh, is to basically improve the NPS at the membership desk. And then I started going into the details of, okay, what are we doing at the membership desk and why are customers coming to the membership desk, right? Like always start with the why. And then, you know, that's when, you know, I was able to figure out these are the four primary things, why they're coming there for. And then I started laying down two, three different things. One is, okay, let's look at the current workflow of for you to do these four operations. You know, what does it take from a, because there's an associate, it's almost like a three-sided marketplace here, right? There's an associate who is catering to the customer. There's a customer and then there's a platform in between, right? Uh, so we have to look at all the constraints in all the three uh, dimensions. 
So then we were looking at, we started looking at the platform constraints. We started looking at associate constraints because associates are mostly shifting between various parts of the stores, right? They're going to check out, they're going to backroom, they're restocking, they're coming back to membership desk. So there are constraints there and, you know, in terms of learning and development and training. And then customers, I think, you know, they also have constraints because often when they are doing something and if they see a big line behind, there's a psychological pressure for them to get their work done and move quickly. It's almost like the, the kind of pressure you see in, you know, airlines and all of those areas where you don't want to be Consider like a rude person who's consuming all the time and making other people wait. So there are constraints in all the three sides. So we started laying down all those constraints. And then what, what I figured out was like for you to, and this is like four years back, three, three and a half, four years back, that for a new member to join as a new member at Sam's Club, it took them anywhere between eight to 20 minutes, depending on how many different things they are signing up for, what all they're doing. And then I started looking at the platform. I started looking at, you know, different things. And like, do we really, and I, I think that's where the definition of innovation comes in because that was a piece where there was a business workflow, which was disrupted. There was a tech, which was disrupted. And we, you know, we obviously had to do a lot of internal change management, right? So to kind of bring the new process together. So long story short, I was able to bring, um, you know, bring in some of the new innovative ways of doing a lot of the paper pen action or, you know, saying and typing action, change that into two simple actions. Like if you want to join, you scan your driver's license or your ID, right? Like which where we will, we will take out all the details using, you know, computer, computer vision and all of that and, you know, pre-fill all the data. And then you swipe a credit card, which is basically used for your payments. And then we should be able to hit on submit. Like it should be as simple as that, right? Instead of like a long DMV process there. And then there was a tech innovation because a lot of the old POS mainframe kind of a system did not permit you to do all of that. So then we we went to completely cloud, mobile first, iPad first kind of tech. And we were able to cut down the time it takes to sign up as a new member from like, as I said, between eight to 20 minutes to like 45 seconds. Uh, so new members were able to sign up within 45 seconds. So then we were like, okay, now we found a product market fit, but it it only answers a very small use case of the membership test. So we piloted that to your point, went from Tollgate to Tollgate, rolled that tech out to a lot of these stores to make sure that works and it's intuitive. The associates feel comfortable, customers feel comfortable, and all of that. Then we went after credit card signup, right? Then we went after returns. Then we went after uh, benefits. So then. We got to a point eventually within like 12 to 18 months where any operation at the membership desk did not take more than 60 seconds. That was it. So that's like a 99.9% efficiency through innovation. I mean, A, that's amazing. So let me ask you this, going back a step in this, the moment that you identify, okay, we're spending eight to 20 minutes at that desk and you want to you wanna cut that time down, you don't know how much you're going to be able to cut it down. Where do you get how do you justify the investment budget time to go fix that problem? Right. Uh, Because part of me is like, wow, you're, you need to move from your traditional POS up into the cloud. You're going to have to retrain all the employees at, you know, the 600 plus locations, right? There's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, elbow grease and financial impact with making that innovation. Can you talk a little bit about that moment of like, do we need to fix it now? And what's it going to cost and those types of things? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I think this is like the ultimate dichotomy or dilemma where most companies get stuck, right? So I think, I think the, the answer is very simple. So the idea was, the vision was always that 
But I think the, the idea that we were pitching for was not to make like a multi-million dollar budget commitment at that point of time. We've isolated the problem. We've showed the impact of the problem. And I'll tell you this, I think when you define a problem in terms of NPS and customer satisfactions, those are super hard to quantify, right? Yeah. Especially if you go into like costing and budget. And that's not a good use of time to go fight that battle at that point of time. So which is why I think what we did is all we asked for was not billions of dollars. We asked for like $5,000, right? And we said, you know what? We are going to buy one iPad, which whatever costs like, you know, 400, 500 bucks, right? And we are going to hire a couple of college grads, right? We are not going to touch existing associates because, you know, they have their daily job. At that point of time, we didn't know, like we had not found a product market fit. Let me put it this way, right? And you don't want to be disrupting the machinery when you're yourself unclear on if this is going to work or not. That's where I think design thinking comes in and lean product management comes in. You want to, like, if you're failing, you want to fail cheap and you want to fail fast and move on, right? Like the problem and the hypothesis of the problem is still holds true, but the solution can shift from one to another, right? Like what we are married to is the problem and the metric and the goal attached to it, which is like, we want to improve NPS. Like that is the problem we are attached to. Yeah. But the tactics may change, right? Like we could do a completely different thing of just creating, like without touching anything on the tech, you could have created a tiger team of associates who would just do the same job faster, right? That would have solved the problem too, to be honest, right? So, um, you know, there are, there, are, there are various levers to pull. So all we ask for is like a few thousand dollars. I don't even know if it's 5,000. I think it's probably cheaper than that. We had those two engineers build like the joint process, you know, on cloud using open APIs. And they did that over the weekend. So it was like a 48-hour hackathon kind of a thing. Right. Uh, we started running this in one club starting from that Monday. We ran that pilot for like three weeks, four weeks. We learned a ton out of it, right? Uh, because the idea is, again, like if when you're building products, you want to build products that works end-to-end. It's like, you know, if you want to build a car, like build the first perfect not perfect, but at least build a skateboard. Like don't build just the steering wheel, right? Because that's not going to complete the operation. So the idea is we build the full joint experience in a very lean way. The UX wasn't great. Like, you know, we didn't spend a lot of time. As I said, it was a 48 hour work, but then we hired a couple of college grads to go run that. And we were physically there in the store to see what works and what doesn't. So it was not a big budget ask. And once that we saw that that works and people got excited. So the ultimate a uh, holy grail of innovation is you want the core machinery to be your champions of innovation rather than few people trying to champion innovation within the organization because that one feels like an outside-in approach. You want the innovation to come from within. So once we started doing this and the associates in the store and the store manager and everyone got excited, they became our champions and they went to operations. We didn't go to tech or product leadership first. They went to operations leadership saying, hey, this is great. Like This saves a ton of time for my associates and they get to do a lot of different things. You know, you don't need a lot of training, you know, and it, it helps reduce the clutter the membership desk and provides more face time. So this is great. So you want you want the people who are going to use the product to be your champions rather than the people building the products to be your champions, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. I mean, that's always one of the challenges is, right, like selling in innovation. Yeah. Uh, and it becomes very much this us versus them where yeah. the renegade skunk works team that, you know, whatever, has a different office uh, and we come up with something we think is cool. And when you bring it into the the mothership, right, the machine, as you put it, it's viewed as a headache by the machine. Like they're like, we're, we're working on 10 other things. We don't want to have to 
implement yeah. this or or test this. Uh, so I'd love that sort of making the machine your champion is a very, very smart approach. Yeah, and I'm oversimplifying, right? Like, so just, just and like, it was a painful process, like, you know, in terms of driving that kind of a change, because you will always find early adopters, just like human behavior, right? Like, and you will also find laggers, right? Who, who are aversive to change, like in general, I'm not saying specifically to, about associates or customers or anyone, like across the spectrum, yeah. right? I mean, there are people who are going to say yes, and there are people who are going to say no. And you have to use the people who are saying yes to be your champions and your torch bearers, and you still have to bring people who are saying no, you know, bring them along in the journey and then drive that perception. I think that that's, that's where the art comes in. So I have a question for you. Thinking about uh, outside, how do you think about, uh, you know, new technologies, startups, and then sort of balancing that, I'll call it collaboration potential between an industry leading company like Walmart and some of those outside disruptors who could very much benefit from partnering with you and working with you. Do you have a point of view on, on that sort of, uh, I'll call it startup collaboration? Yeah. So I think there needs to be a balance, right? You still have to isolate the innovation team to, to some extent for them to not get sucked into the machinery, right? Because that it's very easy to get sucked in, right? Yeah. So you still have to create some kind of a porous firewall and maybe I'll say that like I mean you don't want like a ironclad firewall you need a porous firewall where you're still listening you're still you know there's a dialogue going on there's two-way communication there's active feedback so I maybe I'll put it in the terms of life cycle right when you are when you are identifying problems you want to be fully ingrained into the machinery so that you're picking the right problems that everyone cares about because if people don't care about the problem that you're trying to solve, you know, it's not going to take off. Right. So I think that's where you need to soak in like the first 90 days or 60 days or whatever, right. Just figure out what is the problem that everyone cares about, which is like a billion dollar, million dollar problem. So do that. Once you've got a very firm grip on the problem, then you step out and you go do your, you know, solutioning, right. Like build experiences then you go back in into the machinery to do some lean testing, right? And that's where you want to be. You don't want to get, you don't want to over communicate because people may either shut you down or get too excited. And both of those are, are dangerous, right? Yeah. So you want, you want to kind of have your one feet in to kind of still get some active feedback to find product market fit. And then you still want to step away and do your, you know, final polishing, you know, adding finesse to your product or experience, then when you feel like you're ready for prime time, because most of the time for innovation, you get one shot at it, right? If you fail, you fail, you hit, you hit it right out of the park. So then you step in maybe with one and a half feet <laughs> and then and then you start running these, you know, as you said, uh, you know, st- toll gates where you're not just running it in one store or if you're doing A-B testing, you probably run it for 1%, 5%, 10% kind of a thing you learn more. At that point of time, when you're learning, you want to be the first one to also acknowledge all the pitfalls or the negatives, right? Because you don't want someone else coming and telling you this isn't working. You want to be telling, you know, you're good and you're bad, you know, with equal voice so that people know that you have your, your intentions are very clear. It's not a scam you and sell you something, right? The idea is you're really, you're really invested in solving the problem. And then I think at that point, when you do maybe rev one, rev two, then you go all in, and then you start scaling, right? You may still find additional things that you want to go fix, you know, and polish. And that becomes an iterative process. And, you know, like that's classic product management. You go from product strategy to execution, to launch, to product optimization, right? So, right. And, and that kind of takes you through the whole uh, cycle of the product. 
I love it. So I'll get you out of here on this. I mean, one of the, we're always looking at what's next, what's next now is how we think about things. So I want to put you on the spot a little bit in terms of what do you think is next for the shopping experience? And it can be membership really any way you want to take this, but really what are we going to be surprised about as consumers in the way that we shop, let's say 10 years from now? Yeah, I think it's like almost looking at the crystal ball. I'll give you my personal opinion. Uh, yeah. I, think, I think my personal opinion is that shopping is going to be hyper, hyper personalized on a one-to-one basis. And, and it's going to be, and when I say personalized, I mean a very different definition to personalization as it stands today in the, in the industry, right? Today, it's about you know, personalizing banners or personalizing you know, certain pages within the experience or doing all of that. What I mean by personalization is you basically, as a customer, have a choice to really dictate every single step within the shopping journey of what channel, how, what, how much. Like you're basically defining every single thing within the journey where the experience that you have is so different from experience that I will have with the exact same brand, right? So it goes from, you know, you may prefer, you know, shopping while you're in the car. I may prefer shopping with conversational shopping, right? Or with voice shopping. Someone else may still be because that person, you know, and we all probably felt a little bit of this during pandemic, like we all want to get out of, you know, wherever, right? Like like a current neighborhood and want to go and physically experience physical shopping in stores, right? Mm -hmm. So, So I think it's all like when I say personalization, I even mean channel personalization, product personalization, experience personalization, there will be some people who would say that, you know what, I don't even want to go purchase. You know me well enough. Send me what I need, right? I will I will just return what I don't want out of the lot that you sent me, right? So so I, I, I what I mean by personalization is a very different level of personalization where the customer gets to choose every single thing without explicitly choosing it, right? Like you want to, yeah. as a brand, infer everything and present it in, you know, based on your best understanding of what their needs are. I love it. I mean, my, my wife and I always joke that she really likes to go to the grocery store. Like that is a pleasurable activity for her. And I would put everything on auto, like replenish if I could, I I don't, I can't stand stepping in there. I find the whole process to be a tremendous waste of time. I know what I like already. And, you know, obviously we're, we're compatible. So it's, it's a very interesting to think about your preferences, the channels, how you want it delivered, what you want known uh, and what you want automated. Uh, So I'm, Yeah, even price, right? Like, because I think, you know, you may want to be doing, you know, for some people, I think having the item stocked is more important for some, you know, price is more important because they are on a tight budget, right? Uh And for some, uh, it's just very, very, very strong brand affinity to a point where they're willing to, like, people who waited in who wait in line for the new iPhone or you know, right. for the new Tesla, right? So I think it, you know, even that I think is is going to be very different because what I can provide you, I may not be able to provide customer B, C, or D uh, that way. So if people want to learn more about Walmart Plus or yourself, where do you want to direct them to get more information? So I say this uh, with a lot of pride as a product person, not as a Walmart associate. I say this, that the best way to experience a product is to go use it, right? So, you know, I would encourage people who, who are inquisitive and who want to learn more to go sign up and it's free. Like there is a free trial. You can you can enjoy the membership free for 30 days. 
and then you know see if, you know what works for you we would love to hear both good and bad because you know as i said i think we are always listening and we want to improve the product and we are just in a very early stage so there's a lot to lot of ground to cover we know that and you know we want to help prioritize the right problems for our customers as well so go experience it you know let us know i think you know i'm i'm the easiest way to access me would be through my linkedin profile uh, you can you know search uh, on linkedin you should be able to find me pretty easily and then we can go from there well vinod uh, this has been a pleasure thank you so much for your time and and, and sharing uh, your stories and your wisdom i really appreciate it thank you so much fred i i appreciate the time and i'm looking forward to hearing more from your um, really captive audience in terms of what they feel about Walmart Plus, I'll, I'll, be, I'll have both my ears open. Thanks so much for joining Vinod and I today. Uh, we really enjoyed having the conversation. Hope you enjoyed listening. Please hit subscribe if you did and be sure to hit us up at Venture Fuel on LinkedIn. Would love to hear from you about what you like or don't like around Walmart Plus, around the show itself and uh, ideas for future episodes. We love uh, speaking with everybody there. And of course, if you want to reach out to me, I'm at Fred Schonenberg on LinkedIn. So until next time.